We're continuing our monthly series with the Cooperative Extension here in Gaston County today. We've got Linda Mingus here and two other guests that are going to talk to us a little bit about something that rings true for a lot of families, meal preparation. We're going to be talking about how to get your kids involved in the kitchen starting at an early age and why it's really important to making better healthy life choices. I'm here on Savvy Citizen today with Linda Mingus from the North Carolina Cooperative Extension, Frankie Leinberger, who's with Leinberger's Farm, and Jackson Delana, who is an App State dietetic intern and working in the grad program there. I want to thank all three of you for joining us today on Savvy Citizen. Absolutely. Thank great, you. Great to be here. We're uh, talking this month about teaching children how to cook. And uh, Jackson, before we started, you were talking a little bit about some of the work that you've been doing um, relating to food insecurity. And I wondered if you could kind of maybe kick us off by, by touching on that a little bit. Yeah, so the first thing I think about when uh, I think about uh, you know, cooking skills and teaching children to cook is they're, they're building foundational uh, skills to, to help feed themselves for the future. So you know, when they go to college, they're going to be you know, in a, an apartment possibly with other people, mm -hmm. and they're, they're going to have to know how to go to the grocery store and buy foods and take it home and prepare all those things. And so if they don't have... Um, if they don't have those basic skills, then they'll have to purchase expensive, uh, more convenient foods. And and then they won't have money for gas, for example. Right. Or they're living off of pizza and ramen and beer and <laughs> right. not exactly the, the foundations of a balanced diet. Exactly. And that's the, you know, one of the criteria for uh, food insecurity is, you know, not eating a balanced diet, mm -hmm. fruits and vegetables and, and protein and so forth. So we're talking about kind of connecting with kids, and, and this is something that you can start connecting with kids at a really early age in terms of teaching them how to cook, right? Definitely. So you can, uh, so the first age at which you can start connecting with your kids is about three, or you know, three to five, and that's when they're a toddler, and they're very motivated, and they want to help in the kitchen, or, or you know, they want to explore the world. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to miss out on that time. Uh don't push them away if they want to, you know, get involved in the kitchen in some way. Um, so that can be as something as simple as, you know, having them use a, a butter knife to chop up a banana. Uh, and that's the first step. And it gives them an idea of what it's like to use a knife and how to handle a knife. Mm -hmm. And then you can just take them from that and progress it appropriately. Well, and Frankie, you're, you're a mom to two young kids, so this is very much kind of within your wheelhouse of something you're doing on a daily basis, right? That's right. I have a two-year-old son and a four-year-old son. Okay. And we are trying to get them involved in the kitchen. Healthy eating has always just been really important to us. We actually live on a farm, Limeburgers Farm, on the Dallas-Stanley Highway, and we grow a lot of the food that we end up eating in our kitchen between strawberries, blackberries, peaches, pumpkins, muscadines, the whole, the whole nine yards. So when we bring something into the kitchen that we've grown, then we would like for them ideally to be involved in the preparation and the mm -hmm. eating of that food as well. Is this, and, and talking about not just preparing foods, but does it help when they're involved in that process in terms of maybe wanting to try it? Because obviously with kids at that age, there's probably a lot of foods that are going to be new to them, right? Yeah, for sure. I, From what I've read, it's just all about the exposure. So the greater quantity of times that you can expose them 
to that fruits and vegetables, to the how the fruit looks, all the different shapes that strawberries can come in. You know, it's not like a goldfish where it's exactly the same every single right. time. With a strawberry, sometimes you can have a big one or a small one, a strangely shaped one. Sometimes one is sweeter than the other one. So we're trying to expose them to that range of experiences they can have. And when they are involved in either the growing or the picking of the fruit in like a pick your own situation, then they're going to get exposed to smelling the fruit, to seeing the fruit in the field, to seeing a small green strawberry and seeing a big red strawberry. And so we've had um, uh, just a lot of great experiences with getting them involved in the whole cycle of how it's grown and prepared. So Jackson, when you're doing kind of digging into research like this, I mean, what are some of the, the tips and tools that you've got for, for parents that want to start getting their kids involved in cooking? And maybe it's parents that, you know, maybe aren't in Frankie's situation where they've got really young kids and they can expose them to a lot of things, but maybe it's, oh, well, I've got a 10, 11, 12-year-old and we really haven't thought about that. How do we start now? Well, um, if you have, well, as I was saying before, if you have a toddler or a three to five-year-old, that's the time that you want to get them involved in the kitchen mm -hmm. and, you know, start teaching them the really basic skills of like, you know, mixing flour, uh, measuring uh, out different ingredients with cup measures. Um, but if you have a older child and you kind of missed out on that period, mm -hmm. uh, it's what you can do is try to teach them through, uh, you know, education materials like YouTube uh, videos that help instruct them on how to how to do those skills in an entertaining way, because a lot of kids these days are using tablets and so forth to watch other educational videos, so why not use that same sure. platform? Um, and there's, I mean, kind of getting to the resources, uh, there's a service called um, Co Kids Cook Real Food. Okay. And they have a website where, you know, if you have the funds, you can spend some money, and they'll have, they have all these videos on how to uh, that you know break down each basic skill mm -hmm. into a, an entertaining video that's age appropriate, and then they'll have those skills. And when you take them into the kitchen and try to make a recipe, they'll be able to follow with you. Okay. Yeah. One of the things I will add is that you know, especially at that age, the ten to eleven, you know, even if it's on a weekend and you're preparing a meal it's okay to grab your child and say, look, I'm doing this. Why don't you come over and help with this step? Um, I give an example. We have grandkids, and they're in that age range. And probably last year was the first time they had fresh chicken breast on the bone. Really? And <laughs> Exactly, really. Because many kids, what type of chicken would they have? Right. Chicken, chicken nuggets, nuggets yeah. chicken strips. We had this long conversation over chicken on the bone. They wanted to know what part of the chicken – where it came from, it almost became a biology lesson. Right. And I was like, guys, let's let's stop. Let's finish dinner and then yeah. have this conversation. But then when my husband went to roast a whole chicken, they were interested in seeing, well, how do you prepare it? How do you clean it? What does it look like? Mm -hmm. um, so some of those opportunities, new foods can be a great opportunity to get older kids involved. And then, uh, you know, Frankie can also even talk a little bit more about this. The mention of growing, you know, being able to plant even an herb garden or doing some container gardens yeah. is a great way of all ages. But to get that energy and enthusiasm for kids of all ages, a great way 
to get them in the kitchen. Yeah, I think planting a seed and watching it grow, you know, in that one in that one simple activity that is very doable for a small family. You're talking about germination, you're talking about photosynthesis, you're talking about the harvest process. They can come in with scissors on the herbs or the microgreens and cut them. Mm-hmm. We've been doing microgreens just on our kitchen windowsill as a little winter project and it's been so fun and it's super short you plant them in a little shallow container you water them just a couple weeks later three weeks later they can come by with their just their little craft scissors and cut the microgreens put it on their pb and j or in a smoothie and my kids have been super engaged with that because they've been able to see the whole process it's not as intimidating to them it's not as strange to them i think because They've seen it from the seed to the whole plant. One of the things as, as we're talking that kind of comes to my mind, especially if you've got a family where maybe you have a single parent or you've got two working parents, just the whole issue of time. Like I think a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, I just I'd love to be able to do more of this, but I just don't have the time. So how do you how do you talk to parents about strategies for making time for doing this this sort of stuff with their kids? So it's always a challenge. I would say the the first thing is just to start small. You know, you may not be able to cook an entire home-cooked meal that night, but you might be able to wash some strawberries and put it on their plate as a side dish. Mm-hmm. Even if in your grown-up mind it doesn't really go, maybe it's spaghetti and strawberries, mm-hmm. that's, that's probably okay. You know, you're still getting them exposure to the fruits and the vegetables. My daughter would be totally fine with spaghetti and strawberries, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other thing is just, it doesn't have to be dinner time. I didn't find that I was having a lot of success inviting them into the kitchen right before dinner time, because that's the end of the day. They don't have their best energy. Who knows how nap time went? Who knows Mm. what else we've done during the day? We're coming up on bedtime. We're coming up on bath time. We're coming up on the whole bedtime routine. I've just found a lot more success with it being an activity and I'm putting my whole brain into this one activity with the kids into squeezing lemons to make lemonade or strawberry lemonade or making the smoothie the same way you would plan an activity to go pick the strawberries or to go to the Shield Museum or to go to Discovery Place in Charlotte. That's an activity that you are doing and you're entirely focused on the kids. You're not trying to multitask with with other housework or on your phone or whatever random things are coming up you can just focus on this thing and the product it's okay if it isn't perfect you know because the process was the goal for me um my wife's a fairly decent cook i am not (laughs) i can grill some things there's a there's a i have a very limited repertoire of things i can do in the kitchen but if it's somebody like me that maybe i don't have a lot of confidence in what i'm doing in the kitchen what tools should I be looking for to, to kind of <laughs> bolster my own confidence so that I can feel good about teaching my kids something and not showing them the wrong way to do something? The first thing that I will say is to check out Extension's uh, cooking and food recipe workshops. There's the plug. There you yes, are, Linda. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you. So we do a lot, and hopefully as COVID restrictions continue to lessen, we will be able to do more in person. But for example, we have the expanded food and nutrition education program that works with families in Gaston County, especially those that are limited resources to help them learn the basic cooking skills. 
but also there are lots of great recipe sites, and Jackson can talk a little bit about those, but one that I always hit on is My Plate. There is a part of that. There's an app, and it's called My Kitchen, and you can type in and do filters whether you want a budget-friendly recipe or a very simple recipe or a couple of ingredients, and often there are also videos that go along with that. So the technology of today really makes it easy to be able to watch a video and resources are endless. And I feel like we've, we've talked a little bit about this on, on previous episodes, but I feel like one of the common misconceptions is that if you want to eat healthy, it's going to cost you a lot more. And that's, that's just not true. I mean, I guess you could go, you know, to, to Whole Foods and spend a ton of money unnecessarily, but you can go and get fruits, vegetables, grains, locally sourced stuff and, and not be paying an arm and a leg. Yeah, and, you know, Jackson can talk a little bit about what he does because I think he's really hit on some great points, which really involve just planning ahead. Yeah, so, um, you know, people often think of healthy food as expensive. Right. Um, but, you know, usually those are the fruits. You know, fruits are, you know, low in calories and they're rather expensive. But then there's other things like broccoli. And so, you know, broccoli is an expensive food. But, you know, the majority of, you know, a healthy diet is fruits, vegetables, grains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, if you have more grains and potatoes and, you know, some of those like more, you know, like peasant foods that people have eaten through uh, throughout history, sure, uh, you know, like grains in the European countries, mm-hmm. uh, wheat, barley, those are very inexpensive when you buy them in bulk. And, you know, then you can cook a large amount at once in a pot and, you know, only spend two hours on Saturday. And then you have seven days worth of uh, whole grains. And then you can throw in some fresh fruits with that and some other uh, lean proteins. And so you're not spending as much money. And it's actually the opposite. When you buy these peasant foods, I'll call them, Mm -hmm. you're actually saving money. And if you're going to buy those convenience foods and, you know, maybe like a bunch of heads of broccoli, it's a lot more expensive. um, Yeah, so, you know, microwavable meals... Uh, McDonald's, those are more expensive than buying, uh, you know, grains and potatoes and sweet potatoes and that kind of thing. And and before we started, you were talking a little bit about just the idea of like meal planning and meal prep, right? And so, you know, rather than potentially, oh, from a time standpoint, I don't have time to come home from work and cook every single night, but maybe you spend time on the weekend and you do some of that ahead of time to kind of help you plan out these meals. Yeah, exactly. So, you can do, and we talk about this in some of our extension courses, like uh, cooking smart with winter or spring foods. Mm-hmm. But um, So there's two different types of batch prep. There's ingredient batch prep or bulk prep or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then there's uh, meal prep. And that's where you, like you cook a giant pot of soup. Sure. With, you know, three beans and, uh, you know, chicken and herbs and spices and carrots and all of that. That's meal prep. And then there's also ingredient prep, which is what I do most of the time. And it's, it's a little bit easier because you're only making one item, you know, okay. brown rice or, um, you know, chicken. So, and when you do it, you make, you make 10 servings at a time. Mm-hmm. And it takes you maybe an hour, depending on what it is. But if you come home every night at dinner and you make one serving, it takes you maybe 30 minutes times seven days a week. Yeah, that's a lot more time commitment. So you can see that the difference. 
Yeah, and going back to talking about the the cost of the meals and the ingredients, I actually get that question a lot as a farmer, and I always like to um, point out to people that you can you can basically predict the cost of the individual ingredient based on number one, how long does that ingredient last as far as the shelf life? Like when we talk about potatoes, carrots, sweet potatoes, those are all root vegetables. Those are all very easy to store. And that is part of what brings the price down on them. And then as far as why fruit, like small fruits, like blackberries and strawberries tend to be more expensive those are also picked by hand. So Mm -hmm. they have a lot more cost in paying somebody to pick those individually. Whereas some of the other like root vegetables, you can use a plow to come through the field, turn up the entire field, and it's much, much faster to pick those. So you can almost always predict the price of fruits and vegetables based on how long does it take to pick them and how long do they last as far as shelf life. So if you're looking to create a really cheap meal, you can go for what we were talking about as peasant foods, which is almost always root crops. They are going to store longer and they're easier to pick. That's a great point. And also, I we go back to even our Med Instead of Meds program mm-hmm. and focused on eating a lot of dried beans and legumes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is a great way of cutting your food budget is to cut the cost of protein foods. Right. And, you know, be, having a plant-based protein like beans or legumes is cheaper. And if you buy in bulk and buy a bag and prepare them yourself, it's even cheaper. So it really goes back to planning. And planning is another great place to have your kids a part of and giving them some input on what family meals are. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I grew up, no one ever asked me when meals were being prepared, what would you like for dinner? Mom prepared a meal and you ate that or you went and made yourself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And just from the expressions on your faces, I'm assuming that we all know that that's not how it works today, right? So I've heard a great tip, and I'm curious to hear Frankie's um, input and Adam yours as well, since you have children of different ages at home. But I've also heard that it's a great way, if you've got children, is to allow them to pick a meal, maybe their favorite meal for the week. So maybe they don't get their favorite meal every day, but they get one of their favorite meals during the week. And that helps to create buy-in and perhaps a little bit even more interest in cooking. Yeah, I, I think it's great to ask their opinions. And when you're when you're making the grocery list, that's a great time to ask them if there is anything that they would want to add to the list. Um, and then when you're, if you haven't planned ahead exactly what this meal is going to be, I usually try to include one safe food. So one food that I know that they have eaten in the past, that they like, that can be on their plate as an option. Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't exactly go like we were talking about with the strawberries and the spaghetti, but that's okay. They have that option on their plate. So then if it's more of a, if most of their plate is more of a a stretch for them, like a vegetable soup or something, they still have a, a, like a bread roll that is on the plate with them that with the soup that they can definitely rely on for their calories. For me with a, seven-year-old I feel like we've been really blessed because she's not a picky eater like I mean like all kids there's some things that she's kind of like I don't know about that 
but like she's she's almost always been really good about trying stuff and um <laughs> even stuff that she's sometimes not a big fan of like she like most kids she's not a big fan of spinach but like we'll use it in um uh, like lasagna or some other dishes and it's she'll be like there's there's the green stuff in it and it's like <laughs> yeah but you can eat it well fine <laughs> she'll try to pick around it sometimes but it's yeah I mean for the most part she's she's been really good about eating stuff but I think part of that is that we've been pretty intentional with her about introducing foods to her at a young age and not just being like okay, you tried it once and so you're never going to try it again. Like, yeah, well, you know, let's try it in a different way. Like you didn't like this raw, but you like it cooked, for example. So like she's not a big fan of raw broccoli or, you know, veggies dipped in ranch. But like if you cook them, cooked carrots, cooked broccoli, just about anything, she'll, gar- she'll uh, gobble it up. That's great. And, you know, we were having this conversation before we got started. Frankie and I were talking about um, in terms of modeling good eating behavior and we as the adults in children's lives we have to think about what kind of message are we giving about food and adults it can really vary so we have to ask ourselves are we as adults willing to try new foods yeah do we eat our fruits and vegetables do we eat breakfast are we drinking water and that modeling is so important and many of the issues that I hear around picky eaters not always but many times it goes back to what the family as a whole, what their behaviors are. And I think we have to be intentional about the messages. And when we have meal time, that's not the time to talk about why your homework didn't get done, you know, or it's a time to connect with your family and mm-hmm. to remove the stress and to make it a time that you can enjoy it. And, you know, we talk about mindful eating and connecting with one another. And that starts, you know, early, but we do need to be mindful of what messages we're creating for our children. 100%. I mean, and I think that that's something, not just recently, but I, I think that that's been something over the last maybe 20, 30 years that's really taken a hit, you know, as we have more devices in our home, whether it's TVs or phones or tablets, computers, um, uh, more people that are have two-parent households with maybe non-traditional schedules. Like, it, it can just be really difficult to, to carve out that time to do family meal time together. Um, so, yeah, I definitely see the value in, in doing that and, and being intentional about, you know, creating a space for that within busy schedules. You know, the other piece, I feel like my grandmother as I get older and older – but learning manners and etiquette for children, mm-hmm. as we've done 4-H summer cooking programs, and those are typically geared for like ages nine and above, and we prepare meals and we typically invite some parents or volunteers to the meal, and we teach fam or kids, you know, in terms of basic manners, and they're very disconnected from that. But also, they don't really know how to use forks and knives because guess what? everything is a meal on the go. Mm-hmm. So they may not know. Food. Yeah, it's all fast food. And so children aren't learning how to cut their meat. They're not learning just some of those basic skills. And as I mentioned, you know, I have 10 and 11 year old grandsons and they come and visit and they're eating. What do you think they want to do when they're done with eating? Play a video game. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, trying yeah. to shovel food. I'm like, no, we got to slow down. And so you're constantly prompting them. But again, it reminds me, I have to slow down and enjoy right. my meal. But that's the other piece. And also with that is 
learning to when when I grew up, my grandmother and my mom taught me a lot of cooking skills, which also involved learning to clean up in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Guess what? And y'all may know this already. Kids don't understand that. They don't know how. They don't understand the basics of, you know, cleaning up around the table, putting storing food properly, just sweeping the floor. You know, after so again, some of this becomes really important life skills that we learn in the kitchen and, you know, as kids get older. So starting wherever you can, but our, you know, our grandsons, when they come, they've learned, they know, and they've been doing this since they were old enough to find the cutlery drawer is setting the table and Mm -hmm. help and using manners to, are you done with your plate? May I take your plate and put it to at the, you know, at the kitchen sink. So starting with whatever age can getting them involved, uh, I think is so important. Well, and Frankie, I mean, how can how can folks here kind of connect with potentially local growers to help kind of support this? Well, as a whole, we have the Gastonia Farmers Market um, that is begins in April on Saturdays, and then May through October is Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, Saturday morning. And then in November is Saturday morning, which I know that's really complicated, but <laughs> you can look online for more right. information about that. But that's a wonderful way. Lots of farmers getting together and selling all their produce in one place. And we, Lineburgers Farm, also sell at the Gastonia Farmers Market. And we also have our roadside stall. We actually welcome the public onto our farm. We have pick your own and ready picked, um, hmm. pick your own strawberries blackberries, muscadines in the fall, and then all kinds of ready-picked, already-picked strawberries, peaches, pumpkins in our store. And we're actually just getting ready to get open for the season. We're pretty excited. It's going to be sometime in the beginning or middle of April. Um, We haven't quite settled on an opening date yet, but it's coming up here soon. And you can look on our Instagram or Facebook. It's Lineburgers Farm on both of those and lineburgersfarm.com on our website to get updated on exactly when we're going to open up. It's just coming out of winter like it, and into spring and it, it, that sort of stuff is exciting. Like it's, you know, you're starting yeah. to see stuff, you know, come back out into, into bloom. And it's, that's always one of the, the fun parts about coming into spring. It's just the growing season kicking off. Yeah, and strawberries are one of the first crops that's ready early in the springtime. There's strawberries, there's also spring peas and lettuce, lots of really healthy stuff, but everybody loves to see those strawberries. Those are definitely one of our most popular crops of the entire year. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that, that I'll mention, and Frankie can probably even add more to this, it amazes me how many children haven't had the opportunity to be on a farm and seeing these fruits and vegetables growing. And in fact, I've talked to interns, you know, depending on where you live, if you've been in a city and you're not from the Carolinas, may not have been on a on a farm. So when we have taken our 4-Hers and I've seen kids out, you know, at Lineburgers and other farms across North Carolina, it is amazing what they get to see. And also interacting with the growers, you know, that is also teaching our children those interpersonal skills and being able to communicate with other adults. But there's so much to learn. And, you know, I think we are so fortunate to live in an area that there's so many things growing and available. Yeah, that's right. I 
I love raising my kids on the farm and I love that other young families can come out to our farm and enjoy it because really when you walk through a strawberry field, the whole field smells like strawberries. That's Mm. exposing them to that smell. That's getting them used to it. And when you stop and look at one strawberry plant, a lot of times you can see basically the entire life cycle of the strawberry plant on that plant. You can see a flower, you can see a small green fruit, you can see a ripe fruit, maybe you can see an overripe fruit that didn't get picked. So it's just such a wonderful lesson in biology and botany and how plants grow. And then it just leads itself so easily into what we've been talking about. You can In the morning, you can pick the strawberries. In the afternoon, you and your child can make a strawberry smoothie or strawberry lemonade or a strawberry cobbler. And it's just a whole day-long activity. And we don't charge admission. We don't charge parking. We only charge for the fruit that you pick. So it's a very affordable day out for a family as well. Well, I I feel like for as many people as have been kind of cooped up during COVID, just the opportunity to get out and get some fresh air. And yeah, that's, that's hard to beat right now. Yeah. I have some really fond memories of strawberry picking with my mom. Yeah. It's a very, it's a nice experience. If you have, you know, if you find, you know, a, a farm near you, definitely go. Well, yeah. Just talking about, you know, that bonding time for families, like, I mean, there's just so many opportunities even beyond just the, the actual meal prep or cooking I mean it's kind of the whole process yep, right absolutely the whole process um and we kind of talked about how you know we can develop these uh you know etiquette cleaning up after ourselves mm-hmm. you know interpersonal skills but then there's also when you're in the kitchen you're experimenting with a new recipe you don't know how it might go and you know the adult might be uh you know trying something new f- for their first time so they're it's, it's showing that they're lifelong learners and that they're willing to make mistakes and then just learn from their mistakes. And that's a really important life skill. And obviously, Linda, you wouldn't be here if, if the Cooperative Extension didn't have a lot of great programming that ties into everything we've been talking about today. Absolutely. You know, one of the reasons why I love what we do is because we do provide that hands-on experience and we get to work with our growers and do all these things. So yeah, and again, as COVID is beginning to open up, you're going to see more and more hands-on classes, especially for the summer. So be sure to check out you know, Gaston County 4-H for summer activities, as well as, you know, the Shield Museum and other county programs and churches, because more and more programs are available, and online resources, as we've talked about. And, you know, if you need help navigating all of that and finding resources, be sure to, you know, give us a call or email, and we can certainly help you connect. I mentioned 4-H because it's a great way of getting involved and learning more. We even have a new Youth Beekeepers Association, which is a great way for kids to be involved in, you know, that aspect of understanding the role bees play in growing our food. So lots of new things, exciting things that are going on. And I know even during COVID, there's been a lot of growing activities and and projects that kids can do. And Extension even does our school gardening program. And so we're connected with that in many of the Title I schools in elementary classrooms. And children are growing gardens and they have um, salad parties and get to try that. And that is truly proven to be a great way to get you know, kids excited about trying new foods to them. 
So if there's folks that are interested in 4-H or some of the other programming, um, just all that sort of stuff, go to the Cooperative Extension website, check it out, and all the resources, links, all the good stuff is there. Absolutely, it sure is. And some of the stuff that we had talked about earlier, Jackson had mentioned some external resources that are good, um, talking about kidscookrealfood.com, um, just kind of got a, a, a video and a website course. Um, there's chopchopfamily.org, colormehealthy.com, and myplate.gov that are all kind of great resources for uh, families that are looking for uh, those tools if they're a little unsure of kind of how to start or, or how to connect uh, with their kids in the kitchen. Um, maybe good places to start. Well, um, of course, there's a, you know, kids cook real food. That's a resource if you're willing to spend the money mm-hmm. and you don't have the time. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're willing to, you know, invest a little bit of money, maybe into some tools because you're worried about them injuring themselves while they're uh, trying to use a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the, the first thing to do is to use a butter knife with a right. banana. And that gives them the basic mechanics of cutting a, you know, of a food. Yeah, uh, something and then, nice and soft, something simple. Exactly. And, and you know, um, when they start trying to cut up things like carrots, mm-hmm. that's at the point that they need to be using a sharper knife. Right. Because a dull knife is dangerous. Like, even if you're an adult and you have a really dull knife and you're trying to cut up a, a hard potato, you could, you know, move suddenly and then cut yourself. Sure. So, um, but other things. So, if you're, you know, if they're trying to use a, a knife and it's like the second or third time, uh, you can buy these that have an end that's rounded to it, so the tip is rounded, okay. so that they're less likely to stab themselves. Yeah. And so that can give them more of an example of what the, the actual shape of a chef's knife might be. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I would also add Kids Eat in Color is on Instagram, and she is a nutritionist who just has a ton of wonderful Instagram posts about um, ideas for meal prep for kids, for packed lunches, for different ways that um, you can combine different foods um, as side dishes or main dishes. And I've learned a lot from her. Well, I want to thank all three of you guys for coming in today. Linda, Frankie, and Jackson, thanks so much for talking to us about uh, teaching kids to cook, kind of connecting your families and, and some of the great resources we have available for that. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.